Good morning, and it is great to see everybody, uh, such a good crowd uh, out this morning uh, in person, and we, we hope so online as well, so I want to welcome everybody in both places, and thank also Chow. Chow uh, and I have been friends for many years, and our ministries have kind of uh, paralleled as we've been involved in their work, and they've been working with us uh, throughout several years, so it's, a, it's an honor to be involved in uh, Lemonade International, and I would encourage you to check it out online and uh, see how you can be involved as well. But meanwhile, again, thank you for your help. Thank you for your guys' constant support to the church, and so we're able to fulfill our uh, commitment to our partners like Lemonade, and we do appreciate that so very, very much. Um, guys, wow, isn't it? Um, and I was just thinking this week, isn't it a good thing that we don't know the future? Isn't it a good thing? I mean, can you imagine being back in like January 1st, New Year's Day of 2020, and thinking what 2020 might look at. Can you imagine that? I think most of us just probably go back to bed and uh, try to sleep this year out or something, but we would probably like to have a, a restart in some way or maybe just speed ahead to 2021. But this has been one of the most remarkable years of my life for sure, and it's not even hardly half over, to be honest with you. And it's an election year too, so many just keeps coming at us, right? Good, bad news, bad news all the time. It seems almost endless, and that's why we thought it's a good thing to bring some good news to you, some good news. And the good news is that we can know about our heavenly home, our future in heaven. And the best news I could tell you today is to say that this life is not the end of, it, of everything. There's a whole new world that will open us up for us whenever we... Uh, uh, whenever our lives here are over or whenever the, the Lord comes back. And I think the one thing that our world needs more than anything else is just some good news, some hope, and that hope does not come in what we get sent to us in the online or on, on TV. It's going to come through Jesus. Uh, we're not ever going to get the good news through the media or through the world that we really need. It all comes through Jesus Christ and through His Word. And that's so sad that many people will never grasp that idea because many people are living their lives as if this world is all there is, that we have to just focus on today, today, everything today, and our, our, our immediate tomorrow. And they're frustrated because it's not perfect, and it certainly isn't perfect. None of us would suggest it, it is. But heaven will be a perfect place. And, and, and you know what? Even beyond that, we're going to be made perfect then too. That is some good, really good news, really good news, that we're going to be perfect, heaven's going to be perfect. All of creation is waiting, the Bible says, is long, is groaning is what it says, for the place that Jesus is preparing to be ready for us and for the time that God's going to give the signal and Jesus is going to come back to this earth. That is exciting. That is some good news. And meanwhile, meanwhile, in the midst of all of that, we know what is happening. We know that people are dying every day dying every day, and they're going into eternity, and many of them are unprepared to do so. And so we need to make sure that not only do we know the good news, but the good news goes out from us to other people. And, and one of the frustrations of, of myself and our, our staff is that it's so hard to do that through the corporate church setting. And so let me tell you that it needs to go out through us as individuals. It's hard right now to invite people to the church, but it shouldn't be hard to invite them to Jesus. So let me encourage you, because people are dying every day without Jesus Christ, and they need to know Him. So for a few weeks now, we've been talking about heaven and what heaven's going to be like as revealed in the Bible. And if you're just joining us, you can go back and catch us up, uh, catch up online and some of our, um, our, our videos that are posted there. But uh, just to catch you up real quick, if you're just joining us, we talked about how that God created a perfect world in the beginning. 
and how that uh, we believe His plan continues on, that more than likely God is still going to uh, have His original tension, intention like the garden. And so that might form a concept of what heaven might be like. And even though it was hijacked by sin, Satan hijacked our world, uh, God wants to restore that. He did so and is doing so through Jesus Christ. The second, we, we talked about how that heaven is described in the Bible as a kingdom, as a city, as a house, as a garden, and a constant party that's going on throughout uh, heaven and, and will be throughout eternity. And that we can look forward to that. So it gives us some idea of what tangibly heaven might be like. Then last week we asked the question, will heaven be boring? And we decided definitely not, that there will be a place of joy, a place of laughter, we'll have fun, we'll enjoy it. It's going to be a place that we will interact with heavenly beings. The Bible talks about that with angels. And, uh, and also there's going to be lots to do, lots of places to go, things to do and explore. But primarily it will be a place where we will be with our Heavenly Father, and we will see Him face to face. Nothing boring about that. So that kind of caught us up to where we are today. And today, I want to address some questions that people have about heaven. And, and, and one of them is kind of frivolous, to be honest with you. And uh, then the second two, I think, are much more serious. But, but I'll take the frivolous one first. And uh, I think it's frivolous. Maybe it isn't for you at all. But here's the question. Will my pets be in heaven? Will my pets be in heaven? I, you know, I, I'm not a pet person, all right? Lori says, absolutely. You know, I confer with Lori. She is a pet person. Absolutely, there are going to be pets in heaven. I'm not sure because we've had some pets that I definitely think will not be in heaven because I think they were pets from hell, and that's probably proven. Recently, we got rid of a donkey that I'm convinced was demonic, so I don't think uh, she's going to be there at all. But you know what? The Bible does talk about animals in heaven. It really does. And in fact, it says that Jesus is the line of Judah. We're going to explore that later on in this series. He is the line of Judah. He is the Lamb of God. And that when he returns, he's going to be riding on a white horse. So if you're into horses, lambs, uh, lions, um, it's, it's going to be there, all right? So that's pretty exciting. And we also talked about heaven, I believe, is going to be the fulfillment of what God's original intention was in the Garden of Eden. And if you read, read uh, about the garden, we don't know a lot about animals, but obviously all of God's creation were there. I think Adam and Eve went around probably naming uh, these creations, or God gave them the names one or the other. Uh, and, and they all seemed to be domesticated. They all seemed to get along. They all seemed to coexist in the garden there with man and, and with each other. It was a perfect environment. We know that sin shattered all of that, however, and animals began to eat each other. And then later on, a truce was called. Uh, you probably know what that truce was. It was the ark when, uh, when Noah and his family gathered them all for a several-month cruise together on the ship. They all seemed like they got along. You know, it was a harmonious place in the, in the ark. And then things divided up once they got off there. And at that point, we know that animals prey on each other, that, you know, they, they attack each other, and there's conflict, and we're in conflict. There's some animals that are domesticated, obviously, some of them that we use, you know, we train certain animals to use, and some of them uh, that we just enjoy, maybe your pet, but many animals are not domesticated. Many of them, in fact, are dangerous, and they can kill us. But in heaven, it seems like it's going to be different, right? All that's going to change. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 11. It says, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them, the cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. 
So that kind of gives us some insight there about what heaven might be like when, when there's no conflict in the animal kingdom. Animals won't eat other animals. I'm pretty convinced we'll eat, we'll eat animals. I think we'll eat, you know, steak. I hate to think that we have to give up eating steak, but it'll, it'll, be, it'll be okay. It'll be heaven. But anyway, the animals will not kill each other. The lion is going to eat straw or, or grass like the cows do, and they're going to all get along, and children will play with wild animals. In fact, children will reach in and they'll pet snakes, cobras, and vipers is what it seems to say there. Well, that's a stretch for most of us here, but again, it's going to be heaven, right? It's going to be okay. In fact, the curse that was placed on the serpent will be lifted off. God will take away all of that, all of that enmity, all of that conflict. Now, you know, we try to create the, that here upon the earth, don't we? I mean, we've domesticated animals, and we've got these pets that we, that we like here. But, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out very well. I mean, you hear somebody that thinks they've domesticated a lion, only to hear the lion turned on them and killed them, or any other wild animal, or, in, you know, even uh, their dog, you know, sometimes. That's why I'm not a big dog person that could turn around and kill you, right? You know, that's humor, all right? You can, you can laugh at that. But dogs do occasionally kill people. Or a pet deer gores its owner to death, you know? So we understand that there, even though we think we might domesticate animals, there's still some conflict that, that comes in the animal and the human kingdom. But in heaven, things are going to change. The Bible says there's going to be peace and harmony between humans and animals, and even between animals themselves. Now, now people ask, will my favorite pet be there? You know, maybe you have a pet that you had for a long time. Is my pet going to be there? We don't know any of that. We really don't. There's no way of knowing if they will be the same animal, uh, your, your dog or, or whatever that you've had all these years. They may come back to life again. God could surely do that. Could there be new animals of a of, of the same kind that, that we have today, definitely. Could there be brand new kinds of animals uh, that we have never seen, or maybe extinct animals that, that are brought back to life again? If you've ever been to the Ark Encounter, which I would encourage you to go, uh, they've done an incredible job of picturing what the Ark might have been like. But there are animals on there that are extinct today, and they've found their skeletons, and they kind of rebuilt the, the animal with, with uh, flesh looking and, uh, and hide. And so it's kind of creative that those may be some pets that we may be able to have. Now, if you're not a pet lover uh, or a huge animal lover like me, uh, you, may, you may change your mind in heaven. You may just embrace and love animals, or you may endure them uh, like we do here on the earth, those of you who are, are kind of like me, you know. So, uh, so it's going to be okay. But I don't think they're going to, I think they're going to be more tolerable if they're there. They won't chew up or destroy everything. They won't make messes everywhere. And they will worship God because, after all, it is heaven, you know, and everything, and everybody's going to worship God in heaven. So you might ask, well, what kind of animals will be there? Well, I think it's likely dogs could be there because dogs, they know how to worship, right? They worship their owner, and they just look at them adoringly. Cats, I don't know. I mean, cats think they are God, you know, so I don't know that they're going to be able to worship God. So I'm not sure. I'm a little doubt, doubtful about cats, but I, again, I don't know about that, all right? Let me just say this, though, that animals don't have a soul. That's the difference. Animals don't have a soul. There, there are no promises for them. There are lots of things we don't know about heaven, and while we might have a little fun and talk about some of these things, we do know that everyone and everything in heaven will worship God. And, and let me also say again, as I've tried to say throughout this, if your pet is not there, you're not going to be sad. There will not be sadness in heaven because there is no sadness or tears in heaven. All right, so there's a frivolous question that maybe make you think, but maybe look into the Bible 
about what it says about animals in heaven. Here's a more serious question, maybe even really serious. Will we be married in the kingdom of heaven? Will we be married in the kingdom of heaven? Now, the Mormons have an interesting belief on this. They think when you die as a Mormon man, you become a god and you get your own planet and you have multiple wives who are all pregnant all the time and they will populate their planet. Now, that doesn't sound like heaven to me and not for the man or all the women who are constantly pregnant. And I'll just be honest with you. Uh, I think they, they made all that up uh, to appeal to some men so they would have their own kingdom, their own planet. So that's all made up. But the reality is that if you love your spouse and you care for them, and hopefully you do, you want to go to heaven and you want them to go to heaven with you, and you can't imagine what heaven would be like without them. Now, we don't know everything, but, but we do know there will be relationships in heaven. We talked about how that hell will be isolation and heaven will be community. It will be wonderful. We'll have people around us all the time. And in the, in the Garden of Eden, we saw that man, God said it was not good for man to be alone, not even with all the animals. So he made a helpmate for him. He made a spouse, a companion for him to have there. And I believe that, um, that Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship in, in, at first. Obviously, we know that sin not only broke their relationship with God, but it broke their relationship with one another. There was conflict between them going forward. But in heaven, God will restore all relationships to perfection. And that means that we're all going to get along in heaven. There will not be any conflict or issues in heaven. We're going to have relationship with God and relationship with others, and it will meet all of our relational needs. And, and I think that we will not need the companionship today in heaven that today when only found in marriage. We know that marriage gives us a lot, but it gives us that companion, that oneness, that company in our homes, in our family, in our lives that we have. In heaven, it's just going to be different there. And even if we're not married in heaven, I'm convinced that we're going to know each other, we're going to be close, we're going to be friends, and we won't miss our marriage. Remember again, remember again, and I'm going to go into Scripture on this, that there will not be any sadness in heaven. So do not despair if it is not exactly like living here upon the earth. Now, I, I say all of that because there are a couple of Scriptures that give us some insight about marriage and, and heaven, all right? Here's the first one. Romans chapter 7 says, for example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So marriage uh, is something God said here on the earth is for people who are alive here on the earth when they are. And, and like Paul says, marriage, death uh, cancels out marriage. It releases us from marriage. And then obviously we, a person can remarry. I mean, there are, there are people who are uh, widows and widowers, and they're freed to be able to go and remarry. And, and God said that is fine because death has released them. Now, obviously that could cause a complication if we were married in heaven and you were to have two spouses and, or that spouse were to have another spouse. It, it could get really complicated. In fact, uh, that's the scenario that was painted up for Jesus to try to sort through by, uh, by some of his uh, critics who came to him, and they were just trying to trip him up. These were people who did not believe that there even was a heaven or a resurrection, so they posed this complicated question to Jesus to try to, you know, make him uh, get confused about what heaven might be like. Here's what they say, Matthew 22. That, that same day, the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, 
Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for him. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now then, at the resurrection, and you almost put in parentheses, if there was one, they would say, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Jesus replied, you're in error because you do not know the Scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. So here's a really unlikely scenario that one woman's going to outlive seven men, uh, but uh, they, you know, they throw that out. So who are they going to be married to and how are they going to figure that out in heaven, you know? And, uh, but you can see the complications here, even if someone was just married, you know, two times. So Jesus says here, that there's not going to be marriage as we know it today in heaven. Now, I do want to quickly say, like I said before, that God's going to give us that companionship with one another, and so we're, but we're not going to have marriage ceremonies like we have here on the earth uh, where two people come together and, and get married, seemingly, is what, what Jesus says. But he does, however, talk about a, a wedding, about the great marriage feast, the greatest marriage of all time, where Jesus Christ, the groom, and the church, who is the bride, will come together and be married, and then they will have eternity together. You know, I just think that our relationships there in heaven are going to be so much deeper than our relationships here on the earth could ever be. Even without marriage, there's not going to be any loneliness or lack of companionship. And I think that we can trust that our relationship with our earthly spouses is going to be satisfying there. After all, it's going to be heaven, right? And it will exceed the intimacy and the companionship that we've had here upon the earth. There will be reunions with those who have gone on before, and we will definitely know each other. Somebody asked me, will we know each other in heaven? Will we know that we were parent and child or husband and wife or friends or neighbors or relatives? Definitely. I'm convinced that we will know that. We will have greater knowledge than we have here, so I'm confident that we will have that. Now, let me, let me share a story with you that I think is very encouraging, and it could really be, give, give hope to some of you today. It's a story about a man and a woman who were faithful to each other, and they were loving. They were Christians, but they, like some marriages, they never could really get it figured out. I mean, there was always conflict between them. They were always going in different directions. Maybe you know couples like that. Maybe you are a couple like that, that you love each other, and you're committed, and you're together, and you're going to stay together. But man, it's tough, you know, because you're always just seem to, to be you know, banging heads into each other. But anyway, this couple, they stayed together, and then uh, in, the, in the later years, the wife died. And uh, the man was being comforted about his, his wife and said, we know that we're going to see, you're going to see her again. And he said these words, and I'd never thought about this. He said this. He said, you know, I, I really miss my wife. And he said, you know, our marriage was complicated, it was challenging and difficult at times. Uh, but I'm comforted knowing that the next time that I see my wife, that we're going to have a perfect relationship, that we are not going to fight and bicker with each other. We're not going to pick at or criticize each other. We're not going to be disappointed in each other. We're not going to be frustrated with each other. It will be a perfect relationship. And I thought, you know, that, that's pretty cool when you think about it. To know that at some point there's going to be perfect peace and harmony in our relationships, even if we struggle here upon the earth. So for those who maybe don't have the perfect relationship with your spouse, your family, your friends, your children, your parents, whoever it might be, even though we're Christians and we know we should, we'd like to, 
The great news, we can look forward to heaven where things are going to be perfect, where things will totally be perfect. So I hope that's encouraging to you. Again, I don't have all the answers, but, but the Bible does speak on some of those things, but we're definitely going to be all together, every one of us in heaven. It's going to be a place of togetherness, and we will know our loved ones before that have gone on before. So here's another question that maybe even is more serious than that, and, and that is, will my children that I lost be there? Or my children be in heaven? You know, we all want our children and family in heaven. I will tell you that as a, a Christian dad, my, one of my greatest concerns is that my children and my grandchildren, and even beyond that, far when I'm, when I'm gone, that they are all in heaven. And I would love to make that decision for all of them. I, I'm blessed in that all of my children have given their life to Christ, their spouses are, and they're walking with the Lord. I want to make sure that ripples down through every generation of our family. But we can't make a choice for our children, can we? We can't make a, 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 a choice to follow Jesus for our adult children. It has to be their choice. But a lot of people ask the question, what about our young children? What about children that, that die even before we knew them? You know, doctors tell us that up to 20% of pregnancies end in miscarriage. I didn't realize it was that, it was that high. In fact, many of them before the mother even knows she is pregnant. Now, the Bible tells us that when God, when, when a child, a person is conceived, that God gives them a soul, and the Bible talks about them being knit together in the mother's womb, that even before the mother knows she's pregnant, that child has a, a presence, a being, an existence. And we believe that's, that life is precious even before birth or, or just after, after conception. But, you know, we also know that many couples are acutely aware of the pain of losing a child through miscarriage maybe before she knows she's pregnant, uh, or SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome, or of a child dying really young, of an illness or accident, whatever it may be. You know, we have all, are all aware of, of how painful it is for those who, who tried to have children and didn't. You know, Lori and I tried for about nine years before we actually were able to conceive. We have two kids by adoption, and so we kind of understand this. But I know that Mother's Day is a painful day and a difficult day for those who have lost children or who are unable to have children at all. And I'm also going to say this because I would believe there are probably people here in the room or people at home who can identify, and that is that if you had an abortion years ago, that the pain is still there and still raw at certain times. So if you lost a child even before birth, the pain never goes away. A child, losing a child is, is a horrible thing. I've had several funerals. The saddest funeral I ever had was of, of four people in a funeral that were killed in an accident. A father, two sons who were 7 and 11, and, and one of their older cousins. And the mother of those two boys had the deepest grief I've ever seen in my life. It was one of the first, first church I served at. I was, will never forget the grief of this woman. She literally grieved herself to death a few years later. Uh, as a young woman leaving behind a young daughter, but she just grieved herself to death. So I've seen that kind of grief, and while I haven't experienced it personally, I understand that. You know, the Bible teaches that we're all sinners by nature. It teaches us that sin is a choice, that while we may be born with a sin nature that it's going to grow and, and expose itself at some point, that we are not born with sin, that the, the idea of original sin is, is not true. An infant, a toddler, or a young child might be spoiled, they can be spoiled, uh, but they don't sin until they know what is right and they choose intentionally to do the opposite of right, they choose to do wrong. 
You know, today, whenever we talk to parents of, of children or young children, we talk about uh, giving their life to Christ. We talk about the age of accountability. And that is kind of a season, maybe not an age, but it's more of a season of a child's life where they're accountable for their decisions because they know right from wrong, they understand what sin is, and they, cho- they know that they have chosen to sin intentionally. And that age is different for most everybody because we're all different, and also I think it depends on how much we teach our children. Um, I, I do know that uh, the more a child is exposed to the gospel, the more they're taught, instructed in God's Word, uh, and, and how the parents invest in them, the earlier they will reach, the, reach this age of accountability. Uh, but, but the doctrine of infant baptism assumes a child is born with sin, and if you don't baptize them as soon as possible, if they were to die, then they would go to hell. Now, there are two major problems with, with this doctrine and teaching. First of all, there's no biblical basis for this. There just isn't. It's a human doctrine. It's a church doctrine. It's erroneous doctrine, and, uh, and we don't need to, to be worried about a, an infant going to hell. We just don't need to do that. But the second thing is that a parent cannot choose salvation for their child. As much as we would like to be able to do that, you know, and, and, and make them at, at some point, we can't choose that. We can't, even, not even for our young kids or our adult kids as well. They have to make that choice. But instead, parents, we need to be committed to giving our children all the opportunities possible to be in church and to teach them at home as well as about God and about Jesus. We just need to make sure that we do that and give them every opportunity in church and at home to benefit. And by the way, I will say this, that, that if you right now are choosing to stay home for some reason, and, and maybe you're listening to us today online, obviously you are if you hear these words, uh, maybe you're listening online, let me ask you, maybe you're being fed, but what about your child? Is your child being fed and nurtured? Are you investing in them? I, you know, I, I'm, I'm anxious to get our ministry, our children's ministry started again, to get back into church as soon as possible, to get our kids in involved in, in their ministries. But I would say in the meanwhile, if you feel it's best to stay at home, spend time with your child. Use the resources that Eric is sending out to you. And, and if you're not getting them, let us know and we'll send them to you. Because while we can't choose our child's salvation, we are the ones who are responsible to nurture and teach and train them to make sure they understand the gospel. And at some point, they give their life to Christ. You know, I believe the pandemic will be the reason that some families, unfortunately, some families drop out of church, and some children never come to know uh, Jesus Christ and are lost. And I, I would just put the burden on parents. We can't let anything knock us out of the habit of going to church and letting our children grow up with the relationship of Jesus Christ and, and doing that ourselves. We want to make sure that our children, our grandchildren, and beyond all of us are in heaven with us. That, is, that it should be a burden on your heart. Because I think the hope of heaven for children that we have lost is a great comfort and maybe the only thing, in fact, that gets a person through the loss of a child. Gets a person through it. And you know what? Let me say this too, because I know this, there may be some who, who deal with this. In heaven, there will be no guilt, no, re, no regret, no shame or anything like that. Even if the death of a child came as a, horrible, a result of a horrible accident or neglect or even abortion. And I say that because I know the power of God to be able to forgive someone and to have that taken away. While it's hard to forgive ourselves, we need to learn to and accept the grace of God and the forgiveness of God. If, if maybe we had some, responsible, some responsibility or we made a bad choice at some point, that's the power of Jesus Christ, that we should be freed of that and live in peace 
and live in joy and live in hope. You know, I, I know God has a special place in His heart for children. And in fact, in Luke chapter 18, we read about Jesus. It says that people were bringing babies to Jesus for Him to place His hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But the, Jesus called the children to Him and said, let the little children come to Me do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter into it. You know, we love kids. We love kids. Normally, this place is just bouncing with kids everywhere. And obviously, because of the virus, we, we've had to, uh, had to postpone that. Last week, uh, we had some little kids in the, in the room, second service. It was awesome. You know, I, I, they, didn't, they don't distract me at all. So if you're wondering, should I come to church and bring my kids? Absolutely, set with them. That's okay. It doesn't matter. In fact, the, the folks who were here with their children, I thank them uh, for, for being here. So let me encourage you to do that. Uh, but also, I will tell you too that we plan to restart uh, on a, a halftime basis our children's ministry. On July the 19th, uh, we, we plan to offer one service of children of child care. Um, and then on the middle of August, we plan to restart both services. So it's so important that we get our kids back into their ministry as well in a safe way. Jesus said to come to him that we have to come with a childlike faith. But you know what? We need to have hope. And we need to have a dream and a vision for what heaven might be like with all of our family around us. And, and, and pray toward that and encourage and do everything we can to make that happen. But the Bible tells us how we should think about losing loved ones, specifically the loss of a child. And we read that story about King David over in Second um, Samuel chapter 12. And if you recall that story, David, uh, David's wife Bathsheba had a baby. And uh, they had been through a lot and made some big mistakes. But that child was ill, and, uh, and David knew the child was going to die. And throughout the child's illness, King David, <laughs> he went into uh, mourning and, and fa prayer and fasting. He spent time before God, and he didn't bathe, he didn't eat. Uh, he, he just didn't take care of himself, and then, and then the child died. And whenever that happened, David's reaction was, was unusual. People thought it would just get worse. His grieving would get worse. But instead, the Bible says that David got up and he ate, he nourished himself, he, he showered, he bathed, and he went and worshiped God. And, and the people, his servants, asked him about this behavior. They thought maybe he wasn't being realistic. And here's what he said. He said, now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. See, David knew that, that his child was in heaven waiting on him. And he resolved that he would go on living for God and that he would see that child again. He knew there was hope, and so he longed for that, and he lived for that. And I would tell you that heaven, I believe, is a place of hope. It's a place of reunion of family and friends that we're going to see them once again. You know, it's amazing once we start talking about this subject of heaven, how, how stories came out. And I, I was thinking uh, just a, a week or so ago, I went to visit Hazel Lewis. And by the way, Hazel passed away yesterday, and she's in the presence of our Lord today. And we can rejoice with her. And uh, definitely, man, we should applaud for, for Hazel to be, see her reward. But she told me uh, there, she said, uh, and, and her husband Jack passed away a little over a year ago. And, uh, and she said to me, as natural as anything, she said, Randy, uh, Jack came and saw me the other day. And I was like, really? And she said, yes, that he, he looked wonderful. 
said he was young and he was healthy and he was happy and we just had the best conversation. And I thought, that's awesome. I believe her. I mean, I really do believe her. And then this morning, I was uh, just talking and we were talking about the subject today and, and someone shared with me about a dream they had uh, about their mother who had passed away. And in the dream, uh, they saw their mother and it was, it was a great experience, but the mother had a small child with them. And uh, so I said that they were concerned about that and, and they pondered that until they mentioned it to their spouse. And their spouse said immediately, said, but don't you remember that your mother had a miscarriage uh, long ago? And, uh, and, he, and he said that suddenly it occurred to him exactly who that child was with his mother in the dream. You know, every now and then I think God opens that curtain to give us a little bit of hope just a vision and a picture to say, this is what heaven will be like. And I don't know about you, but I've had a, a couple of times through dreams uh, that, I, that I have had, not, not God speaking to me, but, but just seeing what heaven could be like and Him opening the doors just a little bit maybe. There's going to be a lot of happiness in heaven. There's going to be a lot of surprises in heaven, no doubt about that. And that'll make it uh, exciting as well, right? But guys, here's the thing. Let's make sure that we all get there. We can talk about it and dream about it and imagine and study about it, but let's make sure we're all there and we make everybody in our family, all of our friends and anyone else that we can convince to meet us there. I've heard people say, you know, our families agreed that we're going to meet at the Eastern Gate. We're going to meet at the Eastern Gate. I've heard that several times and wherever we meet, we will meet and we will know each other there. But let me tell you this, the only way to get there is through Jesus. Through Jesus. He is the only way. And I don't want to ever miss telling people how to get there. Say it's a great place, but I don't, you don't know how to get there. You get there through Jesus by giving your life to Christ. And I would love to have that conversation with you, but I want to leave you with one question about heaven. As great as it is, here's the question. Will you be there? Will you be there? And do you know for certain if you were to die today, this moment, that you would go to heaven. And if you can say that with confidence and peace and knowledge and conviction, then that's wonderful. But if you can say, I don't know, then I can't imagine why you would take one more step in any direction without making that sure.